Good morning, everybody. It's a blessing to see so many old friends, so many new friends, and to join together and worship together. Um, thank you, worship team. And thank you, Mr. MC. He does a great job, doesn't he? <laughs> I'd love to retire from that job. Well, this morning, we're going to pick up again in the book of Acts. And I hope you're enjoying it. It, is, it has been super um, enjoyable and edifying and encouraging to me to study it. And, you know, they always say that the preacher gets the most out of it. But, you know, you're, you're in the text all week long. And, and uh, God's truth is, uh, as uh, John Piper said, it's, it, it's best to, to dig for gold rather than just rake leaves. And when we really dive into it, um, it, it seems almost endless at times. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 2, at the very end, just following Peter's sermon at verse 42. Why don't you stand and we'll read the Word of God together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they, these are the new believers that just became part of the church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer. Father, as we read your word and hear Luke's record of the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles establishing your church, Father, we are just so encouraged, one, at your power, at your sovereign hand, that in such unlikely of circumstances, the church is established and flourishes. And Father, we recognize that we are just like the first church. We are people that are no different than these people. And your spirit has not changed. And your intention for the church has not changed. Father, we are just encouraged by the work that you immediately do within the body of believers. And Father, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in the life of our church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, 
Have you ever asked yourself, what makes a congregation last? What makes a church live through the ages? What makes it thrive? And if you've ever traveled overseas, perhaps in Europe, in the United Kingdom, you might discover a few things. And I remember my first time, I, I was blessed to go over part of work to Germany and spend a couple of weeks with my counterpart over there. And one of the things I did over there was just enjoy the incredible architecture. And much of that incredible architecture is churches. And I remember one town, we went into beautiful old Gothic building. It was a Lutheran church. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is the home of Luther. And, and beautiful setting, park around it. It was near um, the, the town aqueduct and a beautiful waterway that ran by it. And walked through the park, and I, I had trouble finding a door. I, I, I literally circumvented the building, and there was some ivy over a place and kind of a dingy sign, and I eventually found somebody. I asked, is there services? One of the services? And he said, I'm not sure. I, I think they meet occasionally, maybe at the holidays. And I had a similar experience when I was able to spend some time in Scotland. And, and this is, this is uh, the home of the Scottish Reformation where, where much of the evangelical energy of the church grew following Luther's time. And I remember coming over a hill and, and, and seeing a steeple as we drove down into the valley. Beautiful building. And as we got down and traveled through the streets, came around the corner, there was a sign on the side. It was something coffee. And it had been converted. It was no longer a church. It was a beautiful old stone building, huge steeple. There was a coffee shop. But that's not relegated to Europe. I remember reading a, recently a story from a pastor who shared he had returned to his home in the Midwest, hadn't been there in decades. Family went to church at a little church, and he thought he'd stop by and see what the old building looked like. And he walked up, and nothing around. The ground seemed to be in good shape. In fact, he was able to go in and he found an old gentleman who was dedicated to keeping things dusted. The hymnals were stacked. But there was no congregation. And he remembered the old gentleman just kind of mumbling, I wonder what happened. Well, the message this morning is this. The essential element in the health and longevity of a church is found in its devotions. And I want to develop this in this text through three points. The decision and discipline of devotion, the priorities of devotion, and the spiritual fruit of devotion. And 
we all recognize we're all devoted to something, aren't we? And in fact, in, in, if we look earlier in Acts, this group who has put their faith in Christ, earlier in verse 5 of chapter 2, we're referred to as devout men. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout men who called for Jesus' execution, or at least stood by in silence. They were there at Pentecost out of devotion. And some of these devout men, glory to God, received Peter's words. They received the gospel. They had repented. They had placed their faith in Christ They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, so they too were raised to newness of life. And then it says in verse 41, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They received salvation, were born again by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit begins to change their hearts. He gives us new desires, doesn't he? We see that here. It says they devoted themselves. They made a conscious, purposeful choice to devote themselves to these things. And we can't miss this. This is vitally important to the church. The desires of a saved man, born again by the Spirit of God, begin to change. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So therefore, we must ask, what of the man who has no desire for these things? Or the one who says, I have no time for these things. If one is not devoted to the things of God, I guarantee you, you are devoted to something. Ask yourself, have my devotions changed since I became a follower of Christ? And if not, why? And I'm not saying that those who lack these things are not saved necessarily, but something is really wrong. If your devotions have not changed, how do you expect to change? We are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. But we are called to participate in that process. Paul said to the Philippian church, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we do not cooperate with the work of God in our lives, we hinder the work of God in our lives. And as we shall see in this text, God uses our devotions to grow us, to sanctify us, to change us, and to use us. These believers not only made a conscious decision to devote themselves to these things. They were continually devoting themselves to these things. 
meaning they applied a discipline to themselves for these things. And this is perhaps the most difficult aspect of our devotions, is establishing those disciplines. Our devotion not only tells us what we value, but devotion suggests we approach these things in a particular manner. A disciplined approach to our devotions means that we do it diligently, meaning we're conscious of that there's a proper way to really do it. And practically speaking, this means that we have to apply consistent, ongoing effort. It's like any discipline. It's like any devotion that we have. I remember seeing an interview with a, a master cello player. And he shared how for years, and you know, they said, oh, you must just love this. This just must have flowed to you. And he said, no, actually, for years, I hated it. I hated it but I stuck at it. And he said, you know, anything of any worth is something that you have to stick with through the difficult parts. And he said, now, it's nothing but joy. It's literally heaven for me to play my cello. We have to be diligent at this. There's an industriousness to our devotions to achieve the best outcomes. And not only do we have to approach it diligently, we have to approach it persistently. There's a certain doggedness or tenaciousness that has to go along with this. And isn't it amazing how when we set our mind to these things, hundreds of roadblocks just seem to come from everywhere, stepping right into our path, telling us, give up. This is too difficult. I don't have time for this. And perhaps we are too busy. That's something else we need to consider. Devotion means we're devoted to particular things at the exclusion of others. We need to be devoted to the right things. Persistent determination compels us to not give up, but to press on. Well, we also have to approach in a disciplined fashion, earnestly, meaning we are wholehearted in our efforts. We're not just going through the motions, so to speak. When we are earnest, we're careful how we spend our time. We'll avoid unhelpful distractions. When we are earnest, there's a level of passion to our devotions. Well, not only did these believers make a conscious and disciplined decision toward their devotions, but their devotion was foundationally four essential principles. And I'm going to call these four essential principles for a fruitful Christian life and church. And what you could say is they they establish priorities to their devotional life. And first it says, 
in verse 42, they were devoted to the scriptures. Or actually, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Which is amazing when you think about it. They did not have the New Testament. All right? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. It was written, but it was written on the hearts of the apostles and given through the Holy Spirit. So what did they teach? They, te- they taught things they learned directly from Jesus while in ministry with him for three years. They helped them understand what Jesus helped them to understand. Luke 24, 45, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's what the apostles did. They helped all the new disciples to understand the scriptures. And this is just discipling, isn't it? This is what we do when we share the scriptures with our loved ones, our neighbors. We're helping to disciple them. The apostles shared the gospel message. Sin, wrath of God, salvation by faith alone in the Son of God were all important messages that they had to continually teach. They helped them connect the dots between the Old Testament and later to the New Testament. They were teaching them not only to walk with Jesus, but to become witnesses for Jesus as well. They were doing what Peter would say in his final letter, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So from what we see in this text also, as we'll go further along, they were being taught how to live this out as well. They were being taught the Christian life in light of the grace that they had received through Christ. They were modeling how to pass on the faith. Paul said it so well to his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. You see the sort of multiplicative, if that's a word, process that goes on. We take in the word and we share the word. We can never give away what we don't have, can we? Devotion to the apostles' teaching was foundational to the growth and the spiritual health of the church. And you see it throughout the New Testament. Peter, in his first letter, says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Or Paul to the Romans, chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our Paul of the Colossian church, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this isn't a new concept by any means. Hosea speaking to 
Israel in, through, in, in, in terms of God's judgment for their unfaithfulness says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, they were not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. It's that word koinonia. And it's much more than hanging out with like-minded people that you enjoy. We're called to stimulate each other to holiness and faithfulness. Our fellowship is around a shared faith in Christ and a purpose and a calling. And this pattern of living out our faith in fellowship of believers isn't by accident. It's absolutely by God's design. Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. None of us are an island to ourselves, are we? And the living as such is disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. And I'll, you know, I'll never forget, I think I've, I, I might have shared this before, I apologize if you've heard this story, but it had such an impact on me. I, I had gotten together with a high school friend that I hadn't seen in decades, and, and, and we were talking about how things are going, and it turned out that years before, he had experienced conflict in their church, he had left the church, had gotten discouraged, and he had never gone back. And, and he was simply thought he could, he could, on his own, and it's not that a guy on his own cannot raise his kids to be believers, but we're not intended to do it that way, right? And I remember he... He had problems with his boys. He had problems in his marriage. And I know he was looking for me to say some magic word to kind of help him. And I just said, brother, you will never be able to be the spiritual leader in your home if you are not in a church and committed to a body of believers. That's how we're designed to be. We're not designed to be on our own. Remaining in fellowship protects us from ourselves. We have partners of accountability in the fellowship of the saints. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17 says. And in the context of fellowship, we're trained in godliness and sanctification. Paul to the Colossians again says it so well, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. They prioritize their devotion to fellowship with one another. And you know, this is largely really what we're trying to accomplish on Wednesdays with Summers of Grace. We're looking to stimulate that fellowship, give opportunity where we can gather together. And that'll continue in the fall. And we really hope everyone pursues an opportunity to have fellowship with the body of Christ in addition to our Sunday mornings. The fellowship that the Lord calls us to is much more than the two hours we spend here on Sunday mornings. It is being devoted to each other's lives, making ourselves available to one another, meeting needs and love, and doing so sacrificially. True fellowship comes from giving ourselves away. While they were devoted to the word of God, they were devoted to fellowship, and it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And the text says, in this breaking of bread, their pattern seems to have been to regularly share meals. But it also certainly meant that that particular breaking of bread where they made a priority of remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, his body broken for them. They were devoted to the centrality of Christ and the gospel. Paul, to the Corinthian church, as he is passing this on to Gentile believers, tells them, repeating that night when Christ was betrayed, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this is the cup of the new covenant. We live under a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's so much instruction, so much worth remembering on a continual basis. We remember, we remember the covenant in Christ's blood. We proclaim his death. We proclaim what he did. And we have opportunity to examine ourselves in light of his sacrifice. And frankly, the Lord commands us to do this. He says, do this in remembrance of me. You know, and as hard as it is to believe that we would actually forget and relegate Jesus' life, ministry, and death 
his secondary devotion, we, we can be guilty of it. We can truly be guilty of it. You might say that could never happen. But sometimes we become consumed with worry over finances, focused on some new ministry or project at the church, overwhelmed by conflicts between the world and our faith, all the while letting slip our simple devotion to the remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Through the Lord's table, we participate in a spirit of self-examination and remembrance. Breaking the bread reminds us of the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant written in the shed blood of Christ changed everything, didn't it? It changed everything. Paul tells us to remember Ephesians chapter 2 Remember, he says to the church, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility between us and God. We remember these things in our devotion to the breaking of bread and the Lord's table. Well, lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. And Jesus in his own life modeled prayer, didn't he? Isn't that amazing? Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he was continually, prayerfully connected, dependent upon the Father. How much more should we? And Jesus taught his disciples continually to be devoted to prayer. And that was their expectation as they set out in these early days. They remember Jesus telling them, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The church took that promise and stood on it. In the most dire of circumstances, they stood on it. The church relentlessly pursued divine help through prayer. You see it in Acts 114, 124, 242, over and over they were devoted to prayer. And here, how they responded to opposition and threats. Acts chapter 4, 24. And when they heard it, those threats, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, sovereign meaning powerful over everything. There is nothing that is not subjected to our God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, excuse me, predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I just love that. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They knew God had promised to sustain the church. They knew it. And it was from God that they sought their help. And this is an instruction that, you know, as I said, it, it, it prevails throughout the whole New Testament. We read in Romans where Paul says to the church, be constant in prayer. To the Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. Pray also for us. He asks the church to pray for them. In Ephesians 6, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Could it be that the weakness in the American church is because we have forgotten the Bible's commands to be in prayer at all times. The early church made a priority of devotion to prayer. The text shows us the decision and discipline of devotion, the priorities of devotion, and this text also shows us the spiritual fruit that comes from devotion. Looking at verses 43 through 47, we see what is, the, what is the result of devotion? Where do we see it leave its mark? Well, I think one way we see it is we see God working all around the church. It says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The power of God became apparent to everybody around them. They witnessed the demonstration of wonders and signs and where God's people devote themselves to these things, God's power becomes apparent through changed lives and a transformed church. There's a, there's a principle working here that we need to understand and apply. When our, church, when our churches and our hearts are fully devoted to the Lord, the power and the light of the gospel burns bright. 
And it will not burn bright at any other time. When our devotion and love grow cold, that same gospel light grows dim and powerless. Turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Now here, the Apostle John is receiving revelation from the angel and, and he, is, he is to share that revelation with the churches. In verses 4 and 5, he is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So the church had lost its first love, its devotion to the Lord. They were at risk of losing their lampstand. And that imagery, the lampstand, is the gospel light. It's the church's witness to the community around them. But he says, unless you repent and do the works you did at first. So we should ask ourselves, do we need to do those works? We did it first. Do we need a renewed devotion to the Word of God? Do we need a renewed devotion to our fellowship, sacrificial fellowship? Do we need a renewed devotion to the Lord's table or to prayer? As we do, Will not the light of the gospel burn brighter around us? In the early church, we not only see the spiritual fruit of devotion in God working around the church, we see it working in the church. Verses 44 to 46 say, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. There was a giving, selfless, sacrificial spirit that prevailed in the church. And it was marked by joyful, generous hearts. They were being transformed from the inside out. The spiritual fruit of devotion was not only seen in God working through the church, it was seen working all around the church and within the church. You know, one of our temptations, I think, in looking at this text 
is we pass up the first verse and we skip down to the lower verses and we say that's what we need to do. We, we need a benevolence ministry going, right? We need, we need a program going. We need to get committees together and start changing this church. They didn't change the church that way. The church was changed by the devotions that dominated their life. The rest of it took care of itself. Well, God promises also to work through the church. Verse 47. And they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says they had favor with all the people. Now, these are the people that are not part of their group, right? So these are the Jews that are looking at this sect. They're not quite sure what to think of it at this point, but they know they don't really feel comfortable with it. They're in disagreement with it. They haven't embraced it, if some of them certainly will. But yet... With these people, the church found favor with them. The change in their lives was so powerful, they were even impacting those that disagreed with them. Not only did they have favor with all the people, there was a natural, organic growth to the church. You couldn't stop it. He says, daily people were coming to Christ. So what we see in the early church is, is a devotion to spiritual disciplines that produces spiritual fruit. So what about us? The early church says they devoted themselves. They made a conscious, disciplined choice to devote themselves to these things. Will we be a church devoted to the things of God? Or will we simply fulfill our perfunctory obligations and show up on Sunday mornings? The clear message to us is God has great blessings for the church devoted to his kingdom and his glorious son. Let us here and now decide to devote ourselves to the word of God to our fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we'll see what God does with it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example and, and model that is laid down for us. It is such a simple picture. There's nothing complicated about it. It is a, a simple, determined, decisive devotion to the things of God for the kingdom of God. Father, you have saved us for a purpose. You have not saved us to languish. You have, you have saved us to be fruitful. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to descend upon our church we want to participate to fully 
apply ourselves to the work that you want us to do. And Father, may you pour out your spirit as you poured out your spirit on the early church. Father, where we need hearts changed, we pray you would change our heart. We pray you would give us a love for Christ so dominant, so powerful that it changes every aspect of our life and is a blazing testimony to those around us. We will give you all the praise and all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. We really hope we see you Wednesday night in here for um, a great time of, of worship. And um, we'll make sure there's plenty of pizza to go around to. So Lord bless you guys here. Dismissed.